This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Two routine wins on the pitch means that the biggest stories of the week have come away from the playing field. Fulham and Borussia Mönchengladbach were comfortably dispatched to put Pep Guardiola's side within 14 points of reclaiming the Premier League title and safely into Friday's Champions League draw. But there have been some rumours of a fallout between Guardiola and Sterling. There are reports that Sergio Aguero is concerned he isn't going to get the contract extension that he wants and eyes have all turned to whether City can pull off the improbable and win all four trophies. So can they do it? Alexander Zinchenko is isn't saying no. Inside the dressing room, I can see the hungry eyes, I would say, you know, we're going to try. But the manager is keen to take it one game at a time. I am older than Mr. Sinchenko. I have more experience. I am not agree with him. Four titles is a, a utopia. So what do you think? All of that will be discussed on this week's Blue Moon podcast. Plus, we'll preview the upcoming FA Cup tie with Everton and Howard Hockin is back on the show too. I'm David Mooney and with me, I've got two City fans. Originally from Scotland and now in Manchester, it's Ali Fogg. Hi, David. And originally from Manchester-ish, she lived here for a bit, and now residing in Scotland, it's Alan Phoenix-Bates. Hello there. Nice little bit of symmetry to uh, to start us off. Alan, I know you're not originally from Manchester at all, but it's no. like, it's too nice for the intro to be able to do that. Um, yes. So, yeah, the uh, the biggest story, I think, uh, of the week that, that started us off uh, around the Fulham game was uh, that of Raheem Sterling and uh, Pep Guardiola. Uh, so let's dive in with uh, a little look on that. It all started after the Southampton game last midweek with Pep Guardiola saying this to Sky Sports. The players will decide for their behaviours and how they compete now arrive in the right moment of the season. In the right moment of the season, when it's not many games, of course, they're going to play the players who helped me a lot during this season, helped the team a lot. The players, uh, I'm going to rotate less. It's going to the players who, who thinks about, uh, you know, the club and uh, the team. And uh, the rest will sit in the bench. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Rumours then began online about a row between Guardiola and Sterling with a suggestion that the winger confronted the manager about being put on the bench, especially in light of that post-match interview with Sky there. Sterling was then admitted entirely against Fulham, with City saying it was for tactical reasons. Then after that game, there was this exchange with Guardiola in the press conference. Just wanted to ask, Pep, there was no Raheem Sterling tonight. Is he Is he OK? Is he just resting? Yeah, he's OK. Does he, does he come back into the squad for Tuesday night, Pep? Tomorrow we'll have the training, we'll see. Just felt like he needed a bit of a rest, yeah? Eric deserves to be here too. So Nathan Ake will be soon here too. So everybody want to be involved from the beginning. So now it's perfect because we take six, seven players every game. Everybody's fit. You know, it's going, it's working well. Or how brilliant we are in our decisions. And after uh, the feed we're going to take, or going to, you know, to complain or to 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 say why we rotate too much or why the players don't play or didn't play in that game, we miss them. So to win the title, especially the Premier League and all the titles, we need everyone, everyone, everyone for the best for the club, for the best for the team. And when that's happened, we can compete in uh, in, in all in all competitions after the end. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Then on the Sunday evening, Sterling took to Twitter to deny the rumours, saying some crazy rumours on socials today. That's absolutely false. Looking forward to a big week with the team. Guardiola was asked about that reaction before the game with Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, this is what he said. Well, he doesn't need to do it, so nothing, nothing happened. It was not selected, that's all. So many players, I cannot... 
sometimes during the season, for example, when we travel to, to Stanford Bridge, we had 14 players in the rest of the academy. In that position, it's easy to do the selection and everybody's happy and everybody's involved and everybody is committed to do what you have to do. When you have 20 players, top-class players, like they have incredible success in the past, in the recent past, in the present, and everything always will be inferred for most of them. This is the Blue Moon Podcast, facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Sterling was back on the bench for that game and came on for the final 20 minutes. So, uh, Ali, uh, what do you make of all of this this week? Is this uh, is this a bit of a storm in a teacup? Absolutely. I'm not even sure there's a storm there, to be honest. Um, I would be uh, really disappointed if... Uh, players who are not getting selected, and particularly if they're not even making the squad, uh, are not unhappy about it and and looking a bit grumpy. Um, I think we should be clear that the social media rumours that were going around, which uh, Raheem responded to, saying with rubbish, I think there was something that had appeared on Reddit originally and then was getting copied all over the place. I have absolutely no doubt that was uh, total fiction. It, just everything about it rang completely untrue. Um, but I suspect the reason it got some traction and it did get um, copied and pasted all over the place was because it felt like it should be true. You know, we, we all think that if, if uh, a player of Ryan Sterling's status and stature is not getting picked, um, he should be unhappy about it. Um, what we all want him to do is, is to go down to the training ground and, and turn up to a team meetings um, and show that he, he absolutely deserves to be on the pitch. Um, the, the fundamental problem that Pep has got uh, and what Pep has said, uh, said there I think is entirely right. Um, he's got 14 or 15 players that absolutely deserve a starting place in every match. Um, there, there just aren't that many, there aren't that many poor quality or, uh, or players that are playing badly uh, around City at the moment. Um, and it's a phenomenally fortunate position or, or uh, well-managed position that we find ourselves in right now. It hasn't happened often in our history and even in the last four or five years with Pep here, um, this has been probably just about the, the best place we've been in terms of players' form um, and depth of, of that form. Um, so, yeah, if, if a player's not getting picked, then he should be a bit unhappy. Um, but I don't believe for a second that um, Raz is throwing his toys out the pram and spitting his dummy and all of that. Um, I think he's probably a, a little bit grumpy because he's, he's not getting picked. Um, and I very much hope his, his response to that is, is to, to play better because that's the only way you get back in the team. Yeah, Alan, it's uh, it's been an interesting time for Sterling this season yeah. because he's he's not had he's not had the seasons that he's he's not had one of the seasons that he's been having in the last few years. But that could be a little bit of a response to the fact that the team haven't had the same sort of season as well. Yeah, I mean, I think um, we are a different, very much a different team, um, whichever permutation you play, really, from any of the um, teams that um, from previous seasons. I mean, really, the reason why we're where we are at the moment is not because of an embarrassment of riches up front. Uh, in a way, it's quite the opposite, really. Uh, we, we, we don't have go-to centre-forwards anymore. And I th- instead, we are solid at the back, absolutely rock-solid. I mean, the rarity of conceding a goal at the moment is, is absolutely incredible. I get quite gutted when one goes in at the moment. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, it's, what you've got is a sort of total football going on. 
and it's it's very very difficult to see where you fit in all the attacking options at once in there because they're coming from all over the place. I mean, good God, they're even coming from John Stones, who is a mid-table team in himself at the moment, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, he's... So, where do you, where do you go? You pick pick on the on the day the, the, the combination that gels the most. And even, you know, it's... So, I don't know. It's... it's, it's it is a tough but interesting position that um, that Pep finds himself in at the moment, and indeed it must be a little bit frustrating for um, for Raheem. But I, I can't I can't see it having any of the gravity that these hairy reports have come out with. It's just that's, they're just bonkers, aren't they? Really? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a it's a difficult position, though, Alan. I guess because um, like you look at, at, at some of the previous players that that this ha- this has happened with with Guardiola. The only like Sane is the big one who has ended up leaving, but it's happened with Mares recently. It's happened with Laporte. Mm-hmm. There's been this kind of it's it, it's always framed as a bust up when actually it's just kind of like a, a sorting out of you know why am I not playing? Oh, here's why sort of thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and it's a matter of managing resources as we go into a very crowded end of the season. I mean, you know. We've got we've got a lot to play for, and um, you've got to have all your resources as fit as possible. And we may well reap the benefits of um, giving Raheem a little bit less game time at the moment, because we might well we might well be very glad about that in the in the near future. Yeah, Ali, do you think, do you think he's the the go to that he has been in previous seasons? I always used to get worried. Certainly, um, last kind of two three seasons, if Sterling wasn't in the side, City were going to struggle, and it kind of feels like it's a lot more of a team effort this season. Yeah, I think that um, I, uh, Sterling's form is always a little bit streaky. He he has amazing uh, months and then just gets a bit iffy for a while, uh, and then comes back again. And there doesn't seem to be really much pattern to it. Um, I think what's different this time is that when uh, Raz has had a dip in form, um, Foden is there just being amazing. Uh, Mahrez is over on the other side just being amazing. Um, and over the last uh, month, um, the, you just cannot afford to be less than you know, 198% as a City player and still get picked. So you know, um, And that's, that's entirely good because we've now got the position where, you know, particularly Mahrez, who appears to be the first name in the team sheet just about at the moment for Pep, um, he knows that if his form goes down, you know, even five percent, then Sterling is there, absolutely snarling at his heels and, and itching to get in the pitch to take his place. Um, and not only is that that good for the team, it's probably quite good for Mares as well. It keeps him on his toes. Yeah, let's uh, let's touch on uh, the two games this week because um, the setups were entirely different. The the, the Gladbach lineup was uh, was what a lot of people were calling probably City's strongest lineup at the moment, not accounting for whether or not the, it was uh, who the who the opponents are. Um, but the Fulham setup, I mean, that that was a three five two or a five three two, and it just it took everybody by surprise. Alan, um, what what do you make of of the way that Guardiola has been? Uh, I don't want to say experimenting because I, I I think that does down what he's what. what what he's after, but uh, but kind of like just fiddling with the things with, with the team at the moment. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't see it as being so much of a fiddle at all. I mean, um, even when we nominally play four at the back, we are really playing a sort of L-shaped four, aren't we? Cancelo coming forward. If you think about, um, let's just take four names here. If you've got Diaz and Stones picking themselves in the middle, you've got Walker on one side, Cancelo on the other, and basically. Cancelo goes forward. The other three stretch out. So a lot of the time we're playing, we're playing three at the back anyway. 
So I, I don't see it quite as radically as some people did the other day, you know, at the weekend. Yeah, I mean, Ali, the uh, the, the the setup almost went to that traditional wing wing back style to get uh, get maybe Mendy forward. Uh, what did you make of uh, of that kind of five, maybe maybe five, maybe three situation? Yeah, I think the um, the the selection against Fulham was more about resting as many players as possibly could before the uh, Gladbach game on Tuesday rather than a, a tactical you know any need for a, a kind of tactical masterclass against Fulham um, I mean I'd, I'm not as comfortable and it's it's nothing to do with the, the three or five at the back however you want to think about it it's more about the way it kind of empties our midfields um, and I, I think uh, particularly man, I, I, I'm, I still feel scarred by the Leon game where we did something <laughs> similar and it went horribly wrong. Uh, I've never so given that prediction that, for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so whenever I see that, there's a bit of an alarm bell going off. Um, but uh, the bottom line for me last weekend is that we could have put out absolutely any 11 of the 20, what are 22 players we've got available um, and they should and would have been comfortably good enough to beat uh, Fulham, yeah. uh, even though they're a, a decent little team, little team who caused us problems and, and played well. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm um, I'm not a huge fan of the three front five at the back, um, but I do totally agree that what Alan says is, is absolutely true. That it's a bit of a um, using these these designations, you know, three at the back. Uh, wing backs, whatever, doesn't really make sense because none of the players are playing in that way, in a way. Um, and you know, I would be, when I would be really happy with uh, a, a kind of pack three of uh, Diaz Stones and uh, Nathan Aki, um, who would cover that back line from from the the left wing to the right wing very comfortably, and probably wouldn't need a fourth person in there. Um, I'm more worried about Mendy because of you know all whatever 22 senior players 23 senior players we've got to pick from at the moment he's the one that i really don't trust and and i'm really sorry it's got to that point but yeah. you know we kept the faith for a long time so yeah but um yeah of any team that pep could put out i think the only thing that makes my heart sink a little bit or or, or yeah a little bit of a, a nerve come in um is when i see mendy in the team sheet at the moment um which is a bit unfair because he's not—he's not a bad player by by the standards of any other team in the in the Premier League, uh, but just by the standards of the options that we've got available to us, he is the one where I where I have got my own doubts. Yeah. Um, and I think probably uh, the only way you can really play Mendy in a back in a side now at all is with a back three. Um, so that he doesn't need to get back from when he finds himself in the uh, attacking corner flag, <laughs> as he so often does, and yeah. then hammers a, a ball at 120 miles across the uh, pitch, which is first defender, and then he has to get back to his defensive position in, in five seconds. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think all of these are it's moving parts and wheels within wheels and all the rest of it. Uh, so whether we call it three at the back, five at the back, whatever it is, um, I think our, our best 11... Uh, wouldn't be put together with a back three, put it that way. Yeah, it's it's funny that that we don't have we we don't have the language, do we, to describe what Guardiola is doing at the moment? Exactly. We, we, we yeah. need to kind of come yeah. up with yeah. with new football terminology for that. Um, Alan, just thinking what what Ali said there, just on uh, on Mendy quickly. I'm trying to think of of uh, the left back that City have had that I would trust. Um, and I'm going back to Stuart Pearce, I think, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's always been a weakness, isn't it? Really, it's um, yeah. And I think that Mendy is probably if we, I mean, we are playing the closest to the nineteen seventies um, total football ideal. Oh, so it's the, Willie Donachie then, is it? I could, uh, <laughs> but at the moment, that's what we're doing. And to me, Mendy seems to be the the least able to fit into that total football style. It's requiring all sorts of skills from all sorts of people. And like you say, we lack the language now. I mean, I've always been a bit of a formations geek. And it's been very, very difficult to pass what's going on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, where do you go? I mean, maybe, yeah, Stuart Pearce is the right thing. At least you could, you know, you, you could rely on him to, uh, um, well... I was going to say score a penalty, but even he, like, I mean, last, day, last game of the season, yeah. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, uh, pop, him, pop him in the technical area and the scoring disappears completely. <laughs> yeah, le- uh, least said about that, the better. We're going to lose yeah. less <laughs> if we're going about that. Um, let's, let's talk about uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Ilkay Gundogan uh, because if there were any doubts after uh, about De Bruyne's form after the Southampton game, uh, the performance against Gladbach kind of put that to bed, didn't it, Ali? De Bruyne was sensational against Gladbach. Uh, I, yeah, I wasn't really worried because he needed a couple of games to come back from injury, and fair play, any player does. Um, and uh, I, the only concern was whether it took him two games or three games or four games to get fully up to speed. Um, and bang, he was there. I mean, it, it was just a quite sensational performance. He didn't put a foot wrong. Um, and again, while we're talking about formations, um, I'm... I, I'm so much enjoying Kevin De Bruyne as, as a false nine. Uh, of all the different combinations we've we've tried putting together without a, a central striker, um, that's the one that works best for me. Um, I thought he did a, a, an incredible job, and the way um, the way the players around him adapted to his movement was just sensational. When uh, he pulled back, um, Foden would move into the nine, or or. Uh, another player would come forward. There's one point, uh, Kevin De Bruyne found himself playing at centre back when we were in possession. I don't know if you noticed somewhere halfway through middle, uh, halfway through second half. Um, I think Diaz had gone on a, a charge forward and and left a gap, and Kevin just spotted that there was nobody covering the centre back spot, and lo- he just drifted back and 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 collected the ba- the pass backwards um, and started building again from the back. Um, and when you're getting your false nine picking up the ball in possession as a centre back, uh, there there's a remarkable kind of football going on there um and i think uh when we can talk about how wonderful uh the the football that we played over the four or five six weeks when kevin was out um there was something you know particularly in the first half or you know the first 25 minutes uh, in the gladbach game we were on another level and i don't think we can get there without kevin de Bruyne in the team We've got some free beers for Blue Moon Podcast listeners right now with Beer 52. Sam Roscoe has been sent a sample of them. He's here now. Hi, Sam. How are you doing, mate? You okay? I'm not too bad, thanks. I'm guessing you're quite well with your case of free beer there. Absolutely loving this. Thank you very much. <laughs> ah, you're very welcome. Uh, you can also get a free case of eight craft beers from Beer 52. Just go to beer52.com forward slash blue. That's beer52.com forward slash B-L-U-E. And all you need to do is cover the postage of £5.95. Uh, you'll get a case of eight free craft beers. Sam, what are you trying for us this week? Yeah, well, there's, there's, a, there's a great selection to, to pick from. The 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 one I've got out is a um, a wild card brewery table beer. It's called um, this one is a two point seven percent volume beer, um, and I like the look of this. It's you know it looks great, and I'm optimistic that it's going to taste great as well. 
Good. Um, well, I'm going to let you crack that open. While you do, I'm going to tell everybody that you get a free magazine and a snack thrown in with your case as well. If you don't like dark beers, then you can choose the light option. Uh, you can pause or cancel at any time. Just remember that Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club with over 175,000 active members. Each month, members are sent a case with a different theme. Um, Sam, what else is uh, is in your case there? You've, uh, you've got a few that, uh, that, that you're, that you're going to save for another day. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Just had a gobful there. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's um, that's really nice actually. It's uh, it's low in alcohol, which I like as well, and it's 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 really um, you know, you can really get the flavors of the barley and and the hops and stuff as well, which are, which is really nice. Um, sorry, yeah. So in the box as well, there's there's also a a cool magazine, the ferment magazine, which they uh, the guys do. Uh, really interesting, all sorts of stuff about different breweries in there, uh, and also a cute little snack as well, which um, I've. Certainly got my. I'm going to be tucking in too shortly. <laughs> Good. Uh, well, if you want to get yourself some uh, free beers for the business end of the season, just get your free case of eight craft beers by going to beer52.com forward slash blue. And all you need to do is cover the postage of £5.95. That's beer52.com forward slash B-L-U-E. The other interesting thing, Alan, is uh, that uh, with the with the Gladbach performance, you know, that there were doubts whether uh, Gundogan could play in the same midfield as De Bruyne, and it's just like, well, there's your evidence that those two work together. <laughs> oh, these stories that the, 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 people love to the people love to um, make something out of nothing. It's, it's it's not a Gerard Lampard situation, is it at all? Really, I mean, one of the things that um, I think really helped our form was the need to cope without De Bruyne for a while. And that was when Gundogan really flourished. And I think this is where all this has come from, really, hasn't it? Now you've got the two of them playing together in the way that, certainly the way they did um, on Tuesday night, you know, we've got, there's, there's no doubt they can play together. I mean, we, we've got a whole load of, you know, as, as I said before, it's the closest we're playing to total football. And, peop- and it's... It's, it's just a different world. There's just so much tactical fluidity within the team. So much tactical fluidity within the team now. And they can work together so well. I mean, what helps is to have... I mean, you've got two... I mean, you've got so many players able to assist, for example. You've got De Bruyne, the king of the assists. You've got Mares, who is picking himself right now. You've got Foden. You know, there are so many players. And we've had the discussion about people on the bench. It is an embarrassment of riches that we've got at the moment. And, you know, all all hail to Pep for getting it all to gel together it just doesn't seem to be much of an ego problem around at the moment. It's, it's everyone's working for the team. Can I just say, I am not remotely embarrassed about our riches. I hope we pick up on They are ours, and I'm very proud of them. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, uh, what I mean, you know what I mean. We've got, we've just we've got it all at the moment, haven't we? He's got it purring right now. Well, here's the question: We're either of you two at, uh, at York away? That's the only that's the only <laughs> thing I can ask you to prove yourselves here now. No, but I love Macclesfield no. at Main Road. Oh, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, a couple of stats to uh, to finish on from this week: It's now 100 goals in all competitions this season, uh, which is. You know, it's an excellent achievement. It's 684 goals under Guardiola in total, uh, which is which is works out at about 2.46 per match. Uh, and it's now 11 hours and 46 minutes since City conceded a Champions League goal, which is the second longest run in that competition ever behind Arsenal in uh, 2006, I think it was. Mm. Um, Ali, these numbers are... It's... 
it, it, it's strange that this is the new normal, isn't it? Because these are actually extraordinary numbers, and yet we've come to expect it. Yeah, it's the clean sheets number, the the, the amount of time without a goal. But, I mean, in the Champions League, but also uh, in Premier League and other competitions as well, it's just so unexpected. And I don't think any of us would have predicted back in August, September that, that we'd be here when we got to... I'll tell you something else, we have to pay due credit. When you think about how astonishing our run in the Champions League is without conceding a goal... What an achievement by Arsenal. I mean, I don't often praise them, but 2006, Arsenal, were still not even close to their record. They did about 16 hours or something yeah. in the Champions League. Yeah. <laughs> My God, how did they do that? But anyway, let's not talk about them, talk about City. Um, the the revolution that there has been since Ruben Diaz came in uh, has just been phenomenal. It can't be described in any other way. Um, we look at an, an entirely different team at the back, um, I don't remember ever watching a City team that feels so secure. Um, I just, yeah, I don't worry when we can see the corner anymore. <laughs> and and I'd kind of, um, I kind of, I appear to have become accustomed to a kind of knot of anxiety anytime <laughs> the, the opposing team had a, had a uh, set piece of any kind. It was like, oh God, we're going to lose a goal now because we so often did. Uh, and now that's just gone. It's like, oh, okay, it might create a bit of space for our forwards to, to move into if, if they all come up for a corner. Um, and, and, you know, it, it just feels very different. Um, and of course, the, the, the goal scored numbers are remarkable. Remarkable as well. Uh, you kind of expect that more from a Pep team, uh, but yeah, I am just in awe. And I think one thing that that um, a lot of City fans have been play, have been saying of late, and I would endorse entirely, is that we're not getting nearly enough credit from the professional pundits and the journalists and the media classes uh, in terms of of just how phenomenally good our football is uh, from a, pers- uh, a defensive perspective as well as. Um, uh, the attacking one. Um, and one more point that I always make about this, I think it's really important that um, our defence is not our back four. Uh, a Pep Guardiola team uh, attacks with 11 players, informations of 11 players, and defends with 11 players, informations of 11 players. And I remember on, a, on another podcast back in about November, when things were going really badly, probably in the, uh, in the wake of the Tottenham defeat, uh, or you know, the United nil nil and the West Brom one one and all of those. Um, I was complaining not that our defence wasn't defending well enough, but that our front line uh, wasn't defending well enough. That that thing where the opposing goalkeeper or centre backs take the ball and our front line just start to swarm them and refuse to let them pass and pen them back in their own quarter. Um, which makes it not just impossible for them to build any any uh, meaningful possession, but they can't get anywhere close to our goal. And it's not the defenders that's doing that. It's the, it's uh, Foden and Bernardo and, and mm. De Bruyne um, just pressing and swarming and 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 just it must be an absolute nightmare uh, if you're an opposing centre uh, um, centre back or, or full back to to try and play against that because you just cannot relax in the ball for a second um, and when we were losing when we were having a really bad run back at the back of the season I think that's the bit that we weren't doing um, and I think Pep became a bit obsessed with his players saving energy and not running around unnecessarily and, and kind of he kept giving Foden rows for for running too much um, when I have to say you know my my uh, absolutely amateur 
ignoramus football brain, I was looking at those matches saying, what we need to be doing is running around a bit more. <laughs> and the difference between us being really good and us being much less good is largely that the, when we're not as good, we don't run about as much. Um, and for everything Pep has said about resting with the ball and conserving energy and all the rest of it and, and making the ball do the work, and I understand the theory of all of that, um, I think the main reason we have played so well in 2021 is because our attacking players have defended so well. Uh, yeah. And I think that's been uh, uh, largely overlooked. Yeah, and a source of, that's a source of goals as well, Alan. Like, like we yeah. talk about 684 goals under, under Guardiola. I mean, let's be honest here. He's got two years after this one still on his contract. Might extend yeah. it further. They could hit 1,000. You know, could they well could be. hit 1,000 goals. Could well um, be. I mean, I, I think, just, just come in there and just, just expand on what Ali said there for a second. I mean, that pressing, it's, abs- it's not just a, a means of converting defence into immediate attack, but it's also so exhausting. For the opposing team, I mean, I mean, two of the well, we, if you look at the goals that we um, scored against Fulham at the weekend, uh, you could put them all down to a degree of exhaustion on Fulham's part. Yeah, it's very, you, it's very easy to say defender error when actually you force that error. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that they, 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 I mean, they they did so well in the first half. I thought they played brightly. They caused us a few problems in their in their attacking third, but ultimately. Like most teams we play, when we harass the when we harass the um, the defence, after a while they just you just can't keep the comp. You need superhuman um, concentration just to keep up with that. You know, you just can't do it. So yeah, it's another source. It's another indirect source of goals because what you've got is just mentally tired players who, when a threat comes in. They've, they've only got so much space in their head to deal with it any longer. There is a numbers game to that too, sorry to interrupt, but if, if, you, force, if you force the defenders to play um, 100 passbacks to their goalkeeper or 100 balls under pressure to their, to their, out to their fullbacks or whatever, um, then you know, one in every 20 or whatever will go awry. And yes. if you do that 100 times, it's going to happen a lot more than if you only do it 20 times. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that's just the... the the stats of it, the numbers of it. That's all it is. Guardiola just playing the percentages. That's all it is. Anyone can do this game. <laughs> <laughs> you see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. Right. Uh, well, the big story from the Fulham game uh, on the pitch was that Sergio Aguero found the net in the Premier League for the first time in over a year, though the numbers don't necessarily reflect the year that he's had. I've been speaking to Adam Carter from statcity.co.uk about the data, and we started by talking about how much of a shame it will be that Aguero won't break the record of scoring 20 Premier League goals in six different seasons. Yeah, you're saying he's not going to score 17 in his next 10 games or so? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm suspecting probably not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's good to have him back. Um, obviously, as a keen 
statistician. I've kept my eye on that record that is now tied with Henri. And each each season, you you kind of ticking it off. As and I don't I don't think anyone thought this season was going to have panned out how it has in terms of Sergio's injuries and then COVID um, complications and things like that. So. I really thought it was just on course to plain sailing, like you say, you've compared it to the other seasons. I just thought it was going to be a mirror image and we just take for granted now that we've got a 20-plus striker each year in Sergio. Uh, and sadly, that's that's not going to be the case unless he does something miraculous, which I think even the uh, most ardent Aguero fan can probably accept it's not going to happen. So a real, real shame because we, we were kind of ticking, ticking off the seasons where we was just meeting these milestones each year. And it's a real weird one that that's not going to be the case, and probably um, getting us ready for things to come. I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, have you have you like me been kind of a little bit upset with how it's been presented that this is Aguero's first Premier League goal for fourteen months? Because it's like, <laughs> like, uh, like it, it's mis- it is misleading, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm on the I'm on the opposite camp. I was I was looking forward to the day when I could say it's scored his first goal in X amount of days. I had it queued up for a while. Truth be told, I kept having to add. Days, I think it got to 417 days. So, from but I got a lot of backlash as well from that in terms of people saying, take into account the injuries, the COVID, the delay in play. Um, so, so I was kind of guilty of weight of kind of uh, exaggerating the fact and using the numbers to back me up because in, in fact it is 417 days, but in reality, is it? It's not 417 playing days or playing minutes even. So. I you know I kind of used it to my advantage, but it's not as as cri- as a crisis or as chaotic as as the numbers suggest. He's yeah. he's hardly played in that time, so you know let's give him some credit. Well, I've, I've got the numbers. It's it's mm. only fourteen appearances that he's made. Most of them are kind of final 10, 15 minutes at the end of games. Uh, it's yeah. six hundred and forty five minutes between his last two Premier League goals, which when you average it out to, to ninety minutes is about seven games. But again, you can't really get a feel for for it. like in a full ninety minutes, you have a better chance of scoring than you do in you know five lots of, of 20 minutes at the end of a game yeah and though and those seven games are most of them have been games that have come in from a an injury or from a delay or from a restart of a season so he's not that's not seven games at full rhythm at full pelt so there's you can add that caveat into it into how it's gone so long um it, and most, it is, of, most of them have been won already or yeah, and exactly. sort of like, what, there's no need to attack <laughs> exactly the, the you know the real the fact was that it was 13 games he'd gone and which was his longest run without scoring. But if you dig deeper into the numbers, every every fact you've pre- presented there is correct in the fact that you, you're not likely to attack when you're coming on 4-0 up and just seeing out the last 10 minutes to get some minutes in your legs. That was the only exercise that Pep wanted from him in the recent weeks. He's not he's not put Sergio on to go and get us the winner at two all with five minutes left to go. It's, it's not been That's not been the case. So it's a real outlier now in this season in terms of his numbers. And it's probably... It'll skew it now in terms of his, his entire record. It won't damage his legacy at all. I don't want to be sound too dramatic, but just in terms of the numbers, it'll it'll really drag out that that uh, you know the games b- between goals and stuff like that stat, which is probably unfair to Sergio because he he deserves just a a, a clean round record, really. Yeah. Um, that that said, though, ninety minutes and uh, a first Premier League goal in in, in months, it it's going to do in the world of good, isn't it? 
Yeah, I, I loved that. That meant he was just the second player alongside David Silva to score in 10 different Premier League seasons for us. That just shows what an impact he's had and he deserves a break now. He, I think I'm hoping he's got his injuries behind him now and hopefully he can impact some sort of, have some kind of impact in the last uh, running of the season. Now Pep started using the phrases that every game's a final now and Aguero's the type of player you want in a final. He can make that difference, even though he, he, he may be looking a bit leggy and a little bit older now. Uh, I'd certainly want him in our camp rather than against us in those type of games. Yeah, just needs the blonde air back, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lush. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That was Adam Carter from statcity.co.uk. Let's talk about Aguero now. The news broke on Wednesday evening that Chelsea and Barcelona are monitoring his contract situation with him being able to leave City for free in just a few months' time. According to the reports, he would like to stay in the Premier League, ideally at City, but all of that depends on if he's offered a new deal. He's reported to be worried that his time at the Etihad is going to fade to a disappointing end. Let's bring in Jack Gorn from the Daily Mail who broke the story. Hi, Jack. Hello, mate. You're right. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. We're recording this on uh, on, on Thursday lunchtime. Uh, what's the latest with this now? Uh, well, it's probably important to stress that it was in the it was in the Sun and the uh, and the Times as well. Martin Blackburn and Paul Hurst wrote it. Um, the latest is well, as it was last night, I suppose, but um, that ideally he'd love he'd love to stay at City. Um, obviously, big big clubs will be after him. Barcelona, well, Laporta is a is a big fan and wants wants to take him to to Barca. Chelsea tried to sign him ten years ago when he went to City, uh, and what was being floated yesterday was that they might have a look at him and they're monitoring what's what's happening with him. Um, and that's where the that's where we're at really. The, regarding the contract, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the international break because Pep made a point. Um, well, Pep decided at the start of the season that he would um, make a decision on his own contract in in the first international break because that was the time he was he was going to be able to kind of properly sit down um, and think it over and focus without any distractions of training or games or press conferences or whatever else. So it'd be interesting to see what happens over the next fortnight if if anything does. Um, but I suppose Torre and Zabaleta are probably quite good barometers with this case because if you look at them I don't think anything happened until May uh, when they both left the club so it could be one that kind of rumbles on a little bit longer and City have been fairly fairly steadfast in, in what they've been saying that it's it's a job for the end of the season and there are games every every three days and yeah. they're, they're going to wait um, and Aguero's been a little bit similar really um, from what I can gather, that he's kind of, yeah, he's not massively happy about how things have panned out this season for a number of reasons, but kind of understands that it could be something that it does eventually get sort, sorted out whenever City's season finishes. Yeah, I mean, it, he was it, he was overheard, wasn't he, coming off the pitch against Gladbach saying, or like complaining they don't pass me the ball sort of thing. Is there anything to read into that? And where I don't think feeling? so. I think that's just a kind of... That'll happen all the time, that sort of thing. It's just that it just got picked up on the telly, um, and then when it gets picked up on the on the telly in South America, and, and then news aggregators um, get hold of it and put it out to hundreds of thousands of followers, and it becomes a massive a massive thing. But I, I 
I don't think it's massively out of the ordinary. Um, yeah. And like you look at the clips, and there was there was certainly one when De Bruyne could have slipped him in and he didn't. And a striker who hasn't, well, it's only scored, I think he's only scored one goal this year, hasn't he? And he's going to want to score goals, so he'd want to get put through. Yeah, uh, Alan. When you hear uh, that that this might not have a quick resolution, I mean, how are you feeling about the whole thing at the moment? Given that, like, he's, this is Sergio Aguero, club legend, and we don't know what's going to happen in the next few months. Well, I think as as Jack said, there's a lot of the season to play out. There's um, this is almost a distraction, um, especially when um, Laporta is part of the. I know he's. I we know he's keen on him, but they don't have any money so that to a degree i, I just you know it, barcelona presidents like to talk big don't they but at the moment the uh, the balance sheet isn't in their favor um i it's i think it's, it's just going to have to rumble for the sake of um, you know and, and the best way for sergio to um get what he wants was really what this boils down to i want to stay at city but which strikes me as a bit agent-driven, you know. Um, it's it's all about bargaining. I mean, the best place to bargain is surely is is on the pitch, you know, and um, get the get the goals in, get the appearances. By the end of the season, he could have bought himself that contract extension with just a few decent performances. Jack, is he is he um, like you said frustrated about how the season's gone? What how's he feeling at the moment? Given that he, there was talk about him saying that he'd been fit since January, sort of thing, when that's not necessarily looked like it's been the case. No, it's an interesting. Uh, it's interesting, really, isn't it? Because there's a difference between fit and match fit. Um, and Aguero has always been one of these players that needs a number of games to get match fit. And I think City's or Pep's argument, and I would agree with him that his his argument that they've not got time to get, they just haven't got the time to get him fit, or haven't had it over the last couple of months. Because yeah, okay, they're miles ahead in the league now, and he's going to play more games in the league now. But they weren't in January, and they felt they needed to win every game, and they they couldn't spend the time getting Aguero fit and hoping that maybe he nicks a goal or whatever when they had options that were better for those specific matches um, but at the same time it's natural for Aguero who has scored so many goals he's been such a phenomenal striker um, probably certainly in the top three Premier League imports since 92 I would I'd say I think he's just been sensationally good um, so it's natural for him to, to be frustrated um, but he also had kind of COVID in January um, so it's not all about the knee or the hamstring it's, there are a number of different aspects to it I think the kind of if you look at the United game from the out from the outside people that don't kind of watch City uh, as much as we do looked at that game and went well, City need a goal or two goals and Aguero sat on the bench and he's not coming on like what the hell's going on but actually to to those of us who have watched it, I don't know, maybe you guys will disagree with me, but it felt perfectly... I wasn't surprised that he didn't come on in that game. Yeah. Um, Ali, when... I mean, there is the potential that this is the end for for Aguero at City. This is his final season. Um, how would it be to say goodbye without 
being able to be in the stadium, a la David Silva, but without the warning that you got with David Silva to prepare yourself. Yeah, all of this is, I, I'm finding it really emotionally difficult, <laughs> challenging. Um, I think uh, it would be heartbreaking if uh, Aguero left in a less than kind of celebratory and uh, uh, fanfare um, after everything he's done for us. It would break my heart to see Sergio leave. I think it would break my heart even more to have another year of watching him sitting with his arms folded on, on the bench, uh, looking grumpy and unhappy. Um, I, I, mean, I don't know about the Barcelona thing. Um, as Alan says, I mean, their, their finances are, are just crazy at the moment and I've got no idea what the truth behind anything is. It may well be that they think they can get Aguero in a free transfer and then pay his wages through shirt sales or whatever. However, they... Uh, they balance their books and um, whatever accountancy chicanery they've got going on. Um, I would rather, uh, I, would, I, I can hardly bear myself, bring myself to say the words, <laughs> I would rather bid Sergio farewell with our, our love and, and best wishes and see him go off as, as David did to a club in Spain, whichever one, um, or even back to Argentina. Um, and have a couple of seasons uh, banging in goals for a team that doesn't uh, that I'm happy to see goals go in for. Uh, I, I, there were stories doing, doing the rounds the other day that Sergio had said he'd be quite happy to go to another Premier League club. Um, that strikes me as highly improbable. Um, I'm not sure what club would want him. Uh, and I'm, uh, it could all just get really messy really quickly. So I wish that hadn't been said. Uh, wherever it came from. Um, and of course, all of this, uh, as I think Alan said a moment ago, it's got the, the fingerprints of agents all over it. All these stories getting leaked to our friends like Jack um, and some of our less good friends <laughs> in the media. Um, the, the, a lot of them are about making mischief or about jockeying for for bargaining chips in, in negotiations. So you're never quite sure what to believe and, and who's saying what and why. Uh, and so often... Uh, an agent or even a player will say one thing uh, with a view to people understanding the exact opposite. Um, I just want everything to end with the respect and love and and um, sense of triumph that Sergio Aguero has earned and deserves uh, for the club. Um, and I'd, I'd honestly rather he went this summer um, somewhere close to his best uh, and we could, you know, wish him well and, and bid him farewell with, you know, from the bottom of our hearts, yeah. than just have it all continuing to fizzle out over another over another season. Um, if we can have Sergio Aguero back at his best, banging in goals, game after game after game, then you know that, that would be absolutely wonderful. But I think we are kidding ourselves that that can ever happen again. I think at the most we're getting him as a kind of bit. Bit play, bit part player to come off the bench and uh, and fill in, make up the numbers in in cup games or whatever. And I don't think that's right for Sergio. I don't. I I I think he deserves better than that. Um, and I I really hope it doesn't just fizzle out in that kind of way. Yeah, Jack, I'm I'm interested on on kind of like another couple of angles on this as well. Like like Guardiola has consistently said that it's it's up to Aguero when he leaves. Um, how does Aguero feel about that line, knowing that the contract negotiations haven't started, sort of thing? Um, 
I think I think the point about him not wanting to he's not a player that wants to sit on the bench and be a bit part player and a, an impact sub. Um and that's going to be a massive consideration for him. Because uh, it, it's right, he's not going to want another season like this. Um, and obviously, the first half of the season he was he's injured, but the, sec- the second half he has he has just watched on um, and hasn't hasn't played his part. He won't want another another year of that. The uh, I never really know what to think when they say, "Oh, he can," you know, he, he can shape his own destiny. Destiny, and it's it's up to him how it ends, because. Players, and this was the same for Zabaleta, it was the same for Torre, similar for for David Silva, that their decisions on shaping their own futures are based on what happens in the months before. So actually, it's, it's, it's all well and good saying that, they, you know, it's down to them, but they only make their decisions based on the evidence of... Of of the of the previous season, yeah. And um, if he's if he's not playing, and if there's no contract offer, then like he's he's not going to stay, is he? No, I mean no, you wouldn't you wouldn't have thought so. Um, but I I don't know. I it feels to me like it might be a natural conclusion this year, and it's a massive shame. Uh, and it's 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 also a shame that he's he's not played the part that he's wanted to in the last couple of months, but. Unfortunately, kind of teams evolve and and time passes, and City want to sign want to sign a new striker. This this some of their favourites to sign Haaland. If they don't get Haaland, they're going to get someone else, and and that's just that's the way it is, and that's why City will continue being uh, one of the top two clubs in the country for years to come because they, they know they can't stand still. Yeah, it, it's uh, you've you've done the uh, the criminal there and mentioned the H bomb. Um... Uh, what's the latest on that? Do you know? Is uh, well, just the, like, you, you had the story. You had the story recently that they were that they were looking at it quite seriously. Yeah, the the, the um, I think there are other clubs that expect him to go to Man City. It's probably the best way to to put it. Um, and there is a sense that while City have spent a decent amount of money over the last couple of years, that feels like they've held back a little bit. Um, and almost kind of saved up for for when they need a, a, a striker. Um, who whoever comes in is going to cost a lot of money. It's, they're certainly going to break the transfer record, aren't they, for a new striker? So it does feel, and people in around football do feel as if it's it's heading in in that direction. And the important thing is, it's kind of it's not all it's not. Everyone always thinks it's Raiola, 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 but it's it's not. It's I think Raiola will will do the finances and things like that, but I'd, probably he'll have less of a say on the kind of sporting decision than he would do with Pogba, for argument's sake, because of because of the dad, who has probably a bigger uh, a bigger input than people people realise. Yeah. Uh, well, Jack Gorn from the Daily Mail, thank you very much for uh, for joining us and and giving us the latest on the Aguero situation. Thanks, mate. And that leads us on to uh, the game with Everton this weekend in the FA Cup. Um, we're going to take, take a slight detour to start with on this one, because the story gathering pace again this year is uh, whether or not City can win all four trophies. Ahead of the game with Borussia Mönchengladbach, Alexander Zinchenko was asked about the possibility of the quadruple. Uh, this is what he said. Inside the dressing room or just inside the team, you know, I can see the hungry eyes, I would say, you know, everyone 
so hungry for the titles and um, that's what we want you know at, the, at, the, at this period you know right now I would say there is uh, a bit more than no I think around two months right the most important two months in 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 our careers you know and especially of course uh, you know this kind of legend like Sergio Aguero Fernandinho which was here I don't know around 10 years each uh, of course they deserve it so we're gonna try we're gonna try get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast those comments were then put to uh, Pep Guardiola, who had his feet a little bit more firmly on the ground. I am older than Mr. Sinchenko. I have more experience. I am not agree with him. The four titles is a, a utopy. So never happened before, and I think it's not going to happen. The reality is this one. So we're just thinking the next one, and after next one in Goodison Park, and after international break, hopefully the players and their nationalities, they can come back safe and well because we play for important things when they come back. This is the only important thing. If you ask me if I agree with Sinchenko, I would say no, completely not. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. So, Alan, uh, quadruple, on or not? (laughs) Oh, no, I'm still scarred by Leon. Um, I, I, I dare say yes, because as Pep pointed out, it is such a, um, it, it's unprecedented, absolutely unprecedented. And it's, I just, I just don't know, it, it's, I'd like to, of course I'd love to see it happen, but would I like to put my, would I like to put my uh, neck on the line and say, yes, it's going to happen? No, I wouldn't, because there are too many variables at this stage. Too many yeah. variables. It's not in. It's not just in our hands. Every trophy that we're still in, um, barring the Premier League, I suppose, um, every trophy that we're still in, somebody else wants to take that from us. You know. So yeah. there are too, there are too many variables. Anything can happen between now and Istanbul. So, uh, time to pop my cynical hat on, Ali, uh, and ask you, is the quadruple story there as a, as a way to kind of set City up to fail? Normalise the fact that, uh, that you can win all four trophies and then when they don't, the season's not been a success. Uh, yeah, that's probably a little bit cynical. Cause I <laughs> the media are, are, are asking the question that all of us, including City fans, are, are asking ourselves whether this is possible. Um, actually, first of all, I, I really like both those interview clips that you just played. Um, I really like that Zinchenko is prepared to say, yes, we in the dressing room are looking at the next couple of months and thinking we've got whatever it is, 18 games left. And if we win all of them, then we win the quadruple. Um, And I'm glad that the players are talking about that. And I love the fact that he talked about how uh, Fernandinho and and Aguero, again, um, are there possibly at the the end of their careers. And and it's something that that, uh, would be such a fitting... um, culmination to their to their time at City. Uh, I also love the fact that Pep then stomped on it and said, no, this can't happen. And, and he's just a, he's a naive kid and, and he's wrong. Um, as for me, um, I, I one of the things that we, we all love about sport is that anything can happen. Um, thousand to one chances sometimes come in, whether we're talking horse racing or, or football. Um, you know, Leicester won the title from a thousand to one. Um, if we talk about odds, uh, 
we're really talking about an accumulator, a four-way accumulator here. And serious gamblers always hate accumulators because mm. they, they're never as good a bet as they look. Yeah. Um, if you've got four favorites, uh, as the kind of the, the human the human instinct is to look at a, a, a team that's favorite to win four competitions and say, well, that should happen then. Um, but of course, we're only slight favorites in a two-horse race against Tottenham in the League Cup final. Um, I will say, like, I think we have won the title and, and it would be a thousand to one against us not winning the title. So uh, we will win one trophy this year. I will say that fairly confidently. Um, and I think the odds of us winning all four are probably uh, longer. It's less likely that we'll win all four than it is we'll only win one. And, uh, you know... We we're probably sixty to forty uh, against Tottenham in the cup final in the League Cup final, which we'd easily lose. Um, we're in uh, um, eight horse race for the the FA Cup, and we're probably fifty fifty. You know, we'll win it by as often as all the other teams put together. Um, and in the Champions League, we are favourites, but we are favourites in a very strong eight horse race. Um, so you know. Oh, the odds are we won't win it. We might be might more likely that we'll win it than when any other one team will, but it's not likely that you know, it's more likely than we won't. Um, so all of these things, you add all these odds together and the chances of us winning the quadruple are probably about 20 to 1. You know, it, it's as long as that. It's a really, really, really unlikely bet that we will. But a 20 to 1 horse can come in and, and we can dream. And if we beat... Everton on Saturday, then those odds shorten significantly. Um, and if we win our next uh, Champions League round, then they, they shorten significantly again, and so on and so on. And we might well find ourselves in in uh, three finals with the title already behind us. Um, and once we get to that point, we can start talking quite seriously about the possibility of, of winning all those three. But when we're talking about winning, you know, effectively another, what, what would it be? Uh, about another 10 matches that we would need and winning all of them in order to deliver the quadruple, that's a hell of an ask. And Pep Guardiola is absolutely right that it is very unlikely to happen. But of course, that doesn't mean it, it can't and it doesn't mean we can't dream of it. Yeah, well, uh, Alan, uh, Ali mentioned it there that it's Everton that stand in the way at Goodison uh, this weekend. Um, how are you feeling about this one? It's that they uh, they seem to be better away from home. City have got a decent record at Goodison these days compared to what it used to be when when we used to go there and lose two 0 every time. Um, and their their first and second choice goalkeepers are probably not available. Well, this is all this is all looking good. I mean, they are. Uh, I think I think we can do this one quite easily, and also the, the one thing I'm really looking forward to is good sight lines because it's going to be on the television rather than peering <laughs> through. The um, yeah, I, I I mean Ancelotti's a wily manager, but he just can't, can't seem to turn it on at home at the moment, can he? At all, you know, it's it's just not right for him. Um, there, there's things he's got to tweak, and it's the psychology of the team, really. I mean, they're not a they're not a bad they're not a bad setup these days. They're no longer the bogey team that they were, freezing freezing me hands off, um, two nil defeats and stuff like that. We they I don't think they will cause us too much of a problem at the weekend. Yeah, it's um, it's not often City win three times in a season on Merseyside Alley, so it'll be quite some feat if they pull it off. 
It would be, yeah. Um, uh, uh, it would particularly at Everton. I've still got uh, um, shaky memories of the old days, like like everyone else. Um, but yeah, no, I'd, I'd, Alan's absolutely right. We we should be strong favourites. I think if I was an Everton fan looking at this game at the weekend, I would really struggle to find any grounds for optimism. So you know, we we should take that in <laughs> in in that spirit. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd, again, anything can happen, and it's a cup game and, and one-off cup games. We've all been there as City fans or you know, supporters of every club have, have been there too. Um, but yeah, they don't have a lot in their favour at the moment, Everton, really, when you look at it that way. And, and absolutely everything on paper uh, would appear to be uh, uh, calling for a, a comfortable City win. Yeah, hey, at least but we it, shall see. At least it's not Wigan, that's all I'll say. Um, well, <laughs> yeah. God, yeah. Uh, what about the team selection for this one, uh, Alan? Because obviously it's the international break after. Is that going to affect Guardiola's thinking behind this one, or is he just going to go full strength anyway? Because that's what he does. I think it's going. I I I have a feeling we have to go somewhere close to um, full strength. I mean, maybe we can do the, the cup thing that we've been doing is switching around the goalkeepers. But apart from that, I think that we really need to take this one very, very seriously. Um, we can't go around resting too many people. We have the international break anyway. Um, players are going to get, a lot of the players are going to get a bit of a rest at this point. So I think we just have to take this seriously because, you know, one slip and the quadruple is done we don't get yeah. a second shot at this yeah uh, right well Adam Carter was correct with his prediction of 2-0 against Borussia Mönchengladbach and that's taken the total for this season's charity bet up to £940 we've each got £10 correct score single from William Hill the winnings are going to the Christie a cancer hospital in Manchester um, Alan I'm going to start with you because uh, we'll, get, we'll, we'll forget your Leon nightmare with a correct score here will we <laughs> Oh, of course we will. I'm going to exercise all the demons from when they were our bogey team, and I'm going to say 2 0 to us. Uh, 2 0 to City is 11 to 2 and £55 if you're right. Uh, Ali, what have you gone for? I would have gone 2 0, but just for fun, I will add another one. I'll say we'll nick, a, we'll nick a third one in the 93rd minute, and I'll go 3 0. 3 0 is uh, 15 to 2 and £75 if uh, Ali's correct on that one. I've gone for 3 1 because I originally wanted 2 0 and then I wanted 3 0 and, you know, these two uh, <laughs> as the guests get priority. Um, so that's 10 to 1 and £100 if I'm right. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information on how to gamble responsibly, have a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, time now to hear from Howard Hocking. He's talking about what football could look like when the pandemic is over. Like most of us, I keep thinking about the return to normality. It might not be as close as I first thought after yesterday's news that I may not be vaccinated in April after all. There goes any chance of experiencing the delights of the green man toilets once more in 2021. There are numerous things that concern me about supposed return to normality, one being me having to relearn the basic social skills I once had, apparently. That may include not jumping out of the way of every human being that comes close to me. But there's another thing that concerns me too, and that is that those that run the game we love will use the pandemic as an excuse to keep in place some aspect of the past year that would take us further along the line of turning football into a TV show. 
Lockdown after lockdown has had few benefits, apart from my bank balance being slightly less red than it used to be, and the less red in all aspects of life, the better, of course. But one downside has been how the level of sensible football discourse has all but disappeared in many areas of the World Wide Web. Tribalism has never been stronger, though of course it's been there for a long time now. Everything reduced to the base level. Has it ever been more boring and tiresome to support Manchester City, away from the actual football? Which, for the record, gets a thumbs up from me. And as some of you may have seen, the arguments do not have to cross club lines. There's been considerable blue on blue on Twitter over the past week due to people mentioning an unsubstantiated rumour about Raheem Sterling. Remember, only those at York away get to decide how coverage of cities should be shaped. It's our birthright. Rumours like this one are spiteful and can be dangerous, but it's rather naive to expect people not to discuss them. We're a planet of gossips after all. Anyway, my concerns about the future of football go past cabin fever, getting fans easily triggered and worked up on social media. And where better to start than with City United's games at the weekend? One kicks off at 8pm on a Saturday, the other at 7.15pm on a Sunday. I guess it doesn't matter when there are no places to go, no restaurants to dine in, no pubs to sit in, no cinemas, bowling alleys, you know, whatever takes your fancy. But when we do get back to normality, the thought of games kicking off at times like this fills me with dread. I do not want to end the weekend watching my football team, whatever other plans I may or may not have. Sunday night exists to watch Countryfile, Bob Mortimer falling over in a river and watching Top Gear, whilst muttering under my breath how much I hate Top Gear and have no interest whatsoever in cars. It is not for sport, unless it's occurring on the other side of the world, so can't be helped. And Saturday night should never be about football. I've seen games kicking off at such terrible times for years elsewhere in Europe, especially Spain, and feared it creeping into the English game. And this has nothing to do with going to the game. Whether I was there or not, I do not want to watch football then, and never will. The future of football will be shaped by money, power moves, politics, and that has been the case for a while now. But how I adapt depends on how those who influence the sport's future view football. A product for TV viewers or a product for a screen? Because every sport is lessened without an audience. And going to a match has always been about more than just what happens on the pitch anyway. If the pandemic has taught me one thing, it's that most football is actually really boring. Football without a vested interest, beat wanting your team to win or another to lose, does not capture the imagination most of the time for me. Burnley drawing 7 all with West Brom might be very entertaining on the surface, but I just don't care how each team does, so it doesn't really mean anything, apart from wanting Sam Allardyce to have to wrestle at a later date with his conscience about whether to quit before West Brom are mathematically relegated. And that's been one of the unexpected disappointments of the football pandemic experience. There is simply too much football. I never thought I'd say that, but it's true. Of course, no one is forcing me to watch it, but when you have a lot of time to kill, often it just appears on my TV screen, as if by magic. I've said in the past that it's like a replacement for an aquarium screensaver, always on, and occasionally I will look up from scrolling through Twitter looking for something to annoy me, when there is a loud noise on the TV. And like a moth to a light bulb, I repeatedly turn on a game that I think might be quite exciting, only to be bored stiff within five minutes. If can I have just one request for the future, it will be to remove the temptation of watching all matches. Be selective again and make televised football an event rather than one more cog in the world's most boring machine. Now there are all the horrors that made great over time. Imagine if gold music remains. Anyone that plays gold music, especially after crowds return, should be instantly subjected to a points deduction. About 12 points per instance should suffice. 
the pathetic screams of the players every time an opposition player so much as rustles their hair will be less noticeable as crowds return, hopefully. But the rampant deception, or should I say cheating, will only get worse with VAR ready to award penalties for just about anything nowadays. Or occasionally not award a penalty for just about anything. The worry about how football will be presented in future is that many a fan may use an absence of the matchday experience never to return. Many were talking about doing so before the pandemic because the thrill had gone. I always suspected it was all talk and they would never give up the experience of going to matches, but I think the break may have made up some people's minds. This seems a tad weird to me, but each to their own. I say weird because surely all most of us want is to get back outside and act normal, so a matchday experience is part of that for me, a big part. With normality, how else will us fans fill the weekend? The buzz may not last, but the need to get back into a ground as soon as possible is very real indeed for me. But a full stadium, not some test event that just turns the weirdest dial up to 11. I want to experience the pre-match pub as much as I want to experience an actual match. But if many do not return, what will empty seats in stadia trigger those in power to do? To be honest, I don't expect attendances to plummet in the Premier League. They may not go down at all, but the TV companies may feel that they have considerable power when the next deal is ready to be thrashed out, and empty seats will only add to that power as more consume the sport from their living room or a pub. And the other concerns are financial. Most clubs have taken a financial hammer blow or ten over the past year. There will be financial struggles even for some giant names in the game. And so naturally all clubs would be looking to breach the financial gaps caused by empty stadia. And as always, the responsibility will fall on the fans. Do not expect any season ticket price freezes at City over the next decade or more. The assumed continual growth of football by those in power has been smashed to pieces by unforeseen events. How the sport reacts in the coming years will shape how much enjoyment us fans take from the sport we love. The creeping growth of the Champions League will erode further that love for many from 2024 onwards and don't expect that to be the last move to protect the status quo and change the structure of football competitions. Individual clubs like United will undoubtedly try and get a bigger slice of the TV pie before long. City's recent run of victories have provided a timely reminder to the old status quo that there must be further changes to the game to eradicate any advantage City may have. Such clubs don't want participants in the Champions League to have got there solely on merit. They need an insurance clause now, as many of their old financial advantages have withered away. So what do I want, and I hope many others want in the future? I just want to go to a football match with my friends. I want it not to be expensive. I want the sport to be affordable to all, as I've always wanted. I want to know what's happening on the pitch at all times, which means having VAR incidents explained to the people that are actually there. I want the Carabao Cup still. I want the 20-team Premier League and the Champions League to be a knockout tournament, not a league. Good luck with that one. I want to protect existing competitions. I don't want change, as we don't need change. Or not like some in power one, anyway. I want the sport to be always shaped around the core ethos of it being a spectator sport and a live experience, whether I, you or anyone else is there or not. I want it to still mean something rather than feeling like a Truman Show experiment beamed live 24-7 to our homes. Let's hope everything returns to normal soon and we feel the emotion of old that made us follow our team through thick and a lot of thin. This is Billy Donaghy and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Enjoy. 
You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was Howard Hawkin. Uh, time to finish with a couple of quick questions from Twitter. Um, get in touch for next week at Blue Moon Podcast. Uh, Colin Pritchard is first up. He says, uh, given Jesus and Aguero both started against Fulham, does this show Jesus has a future at City irrelevant of whether Aguero is replaced this summer? Uh, Alan, what do you reckon? I think he's definitely got a future. Um, I know he's got a certain emotional fragility. I've touched on this in Blue Moon podcasts in the past. Uh, but uh, I think he's certainly... He, he, I, his body language um, against Fulham was very, very good, I thought. Um, I think he's got a future at City. I don't think there's really a question. It's, uh, it's we're, we're mixing. I think we're mixing two different things up here and calling them one issue. Yeah, um, it's uh, the the thing is, Ali. He's not the direct replacement for Aguero, is he? No matter what we what what anybody kind of how anybody tries to paint it, that's just not going to happen, is it? Yeah, no, he's never been the same kind of player, and I don't think he will be. Uh, and in answer to the question, I mean, I think if, if Jesus wants a future at City, he has absolutely got a future at City, um, and I've got no doubt that Pep rates him and, and would like to keep him. I wouldn't be enormously surprised, of, probably, of of all of our kind of. Uh, first choice or close to first choice players. Um, if he's the one that fancied a, a, a career in Spain or, or you know, Italy or whatever, um, and if a, a big bid came in for him, yeah, he'd be one I'd be less surprised to be going. Uh, but I wouldn't be in any hurry to, to sell him, and, and I'd, I'd kind of hope that he doesn't. And to be perfectly honest, I've got no reason to think that he will. Yeah. Uh, final question for this week comes from Gavin Bloomer on Twitter. Uh, he says, I know we all want Edison to take the next penalty, but having seen what John Stones did for Everton in the video online, should he be seriously considered as one of our next takers? Uh, Ali, are you, uh, are you a, a big up John Stones from the, uh, from the spot, fella? Uh, I'm a big up John Stones, but not from the spot, fella. <laughs> uh, for main reason, it's so easy for penalties to go wrong and, and every player we've ever put in front of a penalty spot has managed to miss one for us um, and I'm quite liking the, the the absolutely faultless and and perfect John Stones that we've got at the moment and I don't want to tempt fate by uh, by giving him too many um, easy banana skins to slip on yeah but that said Alan if you, if John Stones could step up and penenka it into the top corner for City my word what legend legend status there and then isn't it absolutely I mean he's he's, he's gonna hit he's gonna be cult hero forever isn't he if he does something like that on the other hand i kind of agree with ali here it's not it's not um tweak a winning formula he, what he's doing his touch i mean his his touch against fulham that that little jink uh for the first goal was absolutely superb it shows what a cultured player is turning into these days let's not overburden him and we do want edison to take the next penalty simply because Edison's <laughs> mad <laughs> he's mad I, yeah. I would love to see that yeah. I just hope I would love just... to see it can I, can I just say though I, I'm uh, possibly unique as a City fan that I'm absolutely happy for Kevin De Bruyne to take every penalty we ever get from now on and I know he's missed one or two but he will always be our best penalty taker and I would be quite happy to put that conversation to bed unless we can have Edison take one of course I was going to say yeah. as a fully paid up member of the goalkeepers union I'm Edison all the way mate sorry about <laughs> yeah, that yeah. my only nightmare is that he absolutely smashes it it hits the bar goes goes down the field we don't have a goalkeeper in there it's going to look like a primary school game isn't it we're playing rush goalie 
<laughs> yeah, well, there we go. Uh, that brings this week's show to an end. Thank you very much for listening, and please go and give us a rating and a review in all the usual places. If you'd like to listen to some more City Chat, me, Alan, and Ali are also discussing the players who played in the Premier League for City and nobody else in this week's Patreon bonus show. That's available for everyone who backs on all three Patreon tiers. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast for more details. You'll also get ad-free versions of the show by being a Patreon backer too, again, on all three of the tiers there. Uh, thanks to my guest this week, Ali Fogg. Genuine pleasure, as always. And Alan Phoenix-Bates. Stay safe, everybody. I'll be back next week to review the FA Cup time with Everton. I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.